It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. You can find me at practical-golf.com. Check out our newsletter, our deals, and 400-plus free articles. Adam, where can they find you? This is Adam from adamyounggolf.com. There you are. Just said said where you can find me, right? That's it. There's uh, free there. articles, free, free blogs. Uh, I give occasional free videos. Just go there and see all the cool stuff that I have to help you game. So we've gotten a lot of requests for putting. We had our two-part wedge discussion. I think that went over well. People had some good feedback and they kept asking for putting. So we're going to we're going to go over some putting stuff today, some top-level tips and things you should know and hopefully get you better on the greens. Not podcast uh, didn't it crack the top 10 again this Yeah, this we week? are like again, like thank you. We are we are getting thousands and thousands of downloads every episode now it's really starting to pick up steam and we're getting a lot of good ratings on itunes and people tuning in a lot of good feedback so we appreciate everyone's continued support this is kind of blowing us away we're happy with it yeah we're learning still hopefully trying to get better trying to make it more engaging and everything but uh it seems like the topics at least the, the things that we're discussing are relevant to people and it's interesting to people so and hopefully we've got a unique take on it as well Speaking of relevancy, if I could toot my own horn for a second here, I had a really good start or second start to my tournament season yesterday that kind of reinforced some of the things we've been discussing so far in the podcast. Awesome. Give us a breakdown. What do you learn? So I was qualifying for the Long Island Open yesterday, which is a local pro tournament open to amateurs as well, like myself. And it was a tough day at Bethpage Red, which for everyone knows Bethpage Black is one of the top public courses in the country. But Red is also an awesome tournament course, especially when they put us all the way back. It was a super windy day. And a lot of things that we discussed with my long driver, grit, I was playing pretty well. Then I made a late double bogey and I had to kind of suck it up the last few holes and and par my way in. So, you know, I I was combining a lot of the things I discussed on practical golf and on here. And it was, it was nice to put them into practice. Did you take the long driver out with you? Yeah. I, to be honest, I didn't even put the 44 inch driver in the bag yesterday. I did put the three wood because there were some holes on the course where I knew it might not have made sense to hit driver at all. I didn't end up using it because of the wind. The wind conditions were so crazy that the, the it kept shifting. So I really committed to the 47-inch driver and I was, you know, there were several holes. There's some really long par fours like 450, 460 where I had pitching wedge in. I was hitting some really nice big drives and in the conditions, it just made my iron shots a little easier to control. I would much rather be 140 yards from the hole rather than 180. (laughs) Um, So it it definitely, I think, was one of the main contributing factors yesterday for me making it. Do you tell your playing partners when when you're out there who you are? Not not that you're this (laughs) huge big shot or anything. I show up, uh, yeah, I'm John Sherman from Practical Golf in the sweet spot. I mean, (laughs) it, it does come up like people like ask me, but, you know, I like to strike conversation in tournaments if people want to. And sometimes it comes up, they ask me what I do. And I say, I, I own a golf site. And then it, and we end up chatting about it. And some people have become my friends. They contact me afterwards, uh, find me on Twitter. So, yeah, sometimes it comes up in conversation. I don't put it out there because I'm not really looking to start a tournament around and be like, hey, this is who I am. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I usually don't tell people at all. Like, if people ask what I do, I say, oh, I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur or something. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, sometimes they figure it out midway through. But I remember the last one, I was playing really well. I was like five under par and the, the guys were off, say, 20 handicap and they just... They didn't even bat an eyelid. They just thought I was a, a 10 handicap or something. I'm like, guys, I'm five under par here. <laughs> Why are you not saying something? <laughs> but it is what it is. People are so That's an interesting thing, though. People are so um, engaged in their own games that they often don't. They don't care about what's going on around them, which is uh, we're, all, we're all a little selfish in that way, which I, I always tell that to people when they say, oh, I'm really nervous about going on the golf course because I don't want to show show myself up or if I'm playing with better players. Usually the players are so engaged in their own game. They don't care what you're doing anyway, as long as you're not holding up their game. Exactly. And even like, especially in, in a tournament condition, you know, a lot of people are embarrassed they don't want to embarrass themselves in front of other people and i can guarantee you (laughs) they are solely focusing on their own games they don't care what you're doing unless as adam said unless you're holding up the group so you can stink it up out there just don't stink it up slowly no one cares (laughs) yeah exactly so what are we talking about today let's talk about putting and i think you and i agree there's maybe three main skills where you can break this down, which I believe are speed control, face control, whether you're hitting your start line with putts, and green reading. Those could be broken down. Again, many books have been written on putting, but you know, that to me that's like the top level view of what you need to get better at in putting. I mean, you could, in theory, you could take away the reading part because it's not vital. And I know lots of people will think, what what the hell are you on about, Adam? But it's not vital. I've seen some pretty poor readers of the greens who are really good putters. So, I mean, to its real fundamentals, it's can you start it on a functional line and can you roll it at a speed that is suitable for that line? And so, yeah, those are the two, two main ones for me. But I don't want to discredit reading at all. It isn't important important part of the game i've just seen too many good players like i said who don't have great reading skills who are excellent putters and i've seen the opposite players who are good at reading who just can't put to save their lives yeah if i had my main based on everything i've learned about putting from really smart people and then kind of my own journey from being a what i would consider a below average putter for my overall skill level to being i think i'm a, a good putter now I think speed control is the number one skill. That's kind of the glue that holds everything together. If you can't control your speed, forget about your starting line, forget about your read. Um, You will not have good results on the putting green. So to me, that's like when you talk about green reading, I think sometimes people obsess and hem and haw a little bit too much about getting the read right especially in their pre-shot routine. Like I say, people, you know, they're looking at it from like 14 different angles and they're taking two minutes and then they go up and hit it, you know, six feet past the hole. And it's like, well, it didn't matter what the read was. You know, you're, you're putting yourself in three-putt territory now. So yeah, I, I kind of agree with you that green reading is the least important of all of them. We can talk about that separately, but in my totem pole, it's speed control, face control, then green reading would be, I don't know if a distant third, but it's it's out there. Well, yeah, I mean, speed control is important because what is it? 98% of short putts don't go in. Was that? Yeah, that's what we used to say. Yeah, <laughs> never up, never up, never in. Yeah. Um, it's just, well, with speed control, it's like you can hit, you can pick various lines based on your speed. So there's no, I mean, people realize this after putting long enough. You can try and take the break out of it and hit it harder, which I don't recommend. So that's, you know, one read. You can play it further outside the hole and, and not hit it as hard and, and let the break take it more. So your starting line would move more to the left or right based on your speed. But the speed control is what helps you make the putt. But more importantly, I think in the context of regular golfers, it's the proximity to the hole, that three-putt avoidance. That's where a lot of golfers lose strokes on the green. It's not necessarily that you need to make more putts, and we'll go over the stats real quickly. It's more, you know, if you're 20, 30, 40 feet away, being able to keep the ball around a reasonable window, maybe keeping it within three to four feet rather than blowing it by and increasing your chances of three putting. I think that's the low hanging fruit for people saving shots on the green. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think most people would thought maybe four foot putts, three foot, four foot, five foot putts, they could probably pick up a few strokes with if they, if they got that to pro level. And then 
speed control. And you don't require hu- superhuman abilities to do those things as well. It's not like if you want to hit a Bryson 360-yard drive down the center of the fairway, you need to be... You need to have superhuman traits for that, but to hold a three foot putt or to get it within three foot from 30 feet away is uh, is well within the range of everybody. Yeah. And the general context of putting, it's, it's the part of the game where, like you said, maybe you can't perform on the same level as a PGA Tour player, but you could be relatively close where you would never have the chance of, of hitting a driver like Rory. Putting is a part of the game where it's so hard that golfers separate themselves less there in terms of scoring versus with the reason we talk about tee shots and approach shots so much is like that's the opportunity to really make huge strides in your scoring. So I would say putting is very important and you do have an opportunity to get closer, but it is hard. Like Go through some of the stats. Yeah, the stats, you know, these. this is from – Mark Brody's book. By the way, I, I have contacted Mark Brody and he might come on the podcast in, in the next month or two because we talk about him so much. I figured maybe he should actually <laughs> speak for himself at some point. The line in the sand is eight feet. That's always a good starting point. That's a 50%, right? Yeah. Tour professional will make 50% of their putts from eight feet. So that's always like the starting point of like, hey, why are you getting angry at yourself because you think you should be making eight or every eight or 10 footer? A scratch golfer will make about 41% of their eight-foot putts. And then when you get down to like a quote-unquote 90 shooter, you're down to 27%. So my main takeaway for putting is that you should strive to make more putts inside of 10 feet because you actually do have an opportunity to improve there. That's really the range where you actually can make some putts. But once you get outside of that, I mean, at 20 feet, a tour pro is only making 15% of their putts. And, and interestingly- I'm surprised it's that high actually. Yeah. And, but interestingly, a scratch golfer is 14%. Hmm. So it's not that, that that's that separation. It's harder to separate. And then a, a 90 shooter is down to 6%. So I always think like in your practice, I would definitely focus on the shorter putts inside of 10 feet because you can, you can make some more of those. And then the takeaway on the longer putts is- it's all about not that speed control is not important for short putts. It is, but those longer putts, it's more about how can I control my speed and get it within that three foot window where everyone three feet, 96% for a tour pro, 93% for a scratch golfer, and even 84% for a 90 shooter. Although I don't know how many gimmies are in there. So we'll see. So let's talk about what things can, what controls these things. And so we have start line speed, and green reading. What controls the start line? We talk about face control and other parts of golf, how it's important. If you haven't listened to our face control episode, we're always plugging that. Face control in iron play and your driver is mostly responsible for where the ball is starting, but then there's also curvature in the path of the club. With putting, all you have to really worry about is where the putters pointed at impact, correct? That that's pretty much everything with start line and putting. You know, the path doesn't really make that big of a difference. Am I correct? Exactly. I think the um the, the numbers I've seen from Dave Peltz were that the face controls ninety three. Is it it's either ninety three yeah, it, or eighty seven percent? Yeah, it's it's well up there where where you really, you know, I think the point is is like you could have you could be coming in to out seven degrees with your putter, but if you square it at impact, it doesn't matter. You're going to hit it straight mostly. Exactly. And there's a famous putter, Billy Mayfair, who used to chop across it a lot. And yet he was uh, he was a very good putter, I, I believe. I don't know his stats actually, but I think that was the anecdote at least. That's why I think putting is kind of personal. There's really multiple ways to skin this cat in terms of face control, like controlling your start line have you instructed putting much are you more the full swing person have you worked with uh, people in that in that capacity i do i i I mean it's not my expertise by any means and the reason why is because i have slightly different views on putting i think i could probably offer a different product to a golfer whereas i talk more about how to practice putting how to build feel how to build skill in putting rather than the technical elements of it I did work with a very good putting instructor, Preston Combs. He he 
specializes in in that so he's he's one of the guys that i would defer most of my putting people to because i know he's he's very holistic and that's what i look for in a putting coach if someone is just all about the swing mechanics in putting then i know that's not going to lead down a good road for many reasons where if some if someone takes into account the human elements like are they a good conscious screen reader are they a good unconscious screen reader do they have good feel are they doing good practice habits how are they perceiving things over the putt all of these things become really really important in this uh, in this area of the game for me i feel like i've gotten better with my face control over the years uh, through a lot of practice i think it's you know a part of the game where you can even do more experimentation to see what works for you and i think also understanding your tendencies is important like for example i was put on sam putt probably four or five years ago, which is kind of like a great diagnostic tool for your putting stroke. And it essentially showed me that I was taking the putter blade almost straight back and then I was just shutting it and coming across. And a lot of that had to do with my alignment, the way I was gripping the putter. And then over the years, worked backwards from there. Like I use a pencil grip now, similar to like if you watch Tommy Fleetwood putt, it's like that. It's like I'm I wouldn't call it a modified claw, but part of the reason I couldn't control the face is because my right hand would kind of take over and, and shut the club face. So my my main flaw was I would pull putts, especially under pressure. So I fixed that through a lot of it was getting my shoulders aligned, working with a putting mirror. That was my problem because my shoulders were like 35 degrees to the left. I didn't even know that. I changed my putting the way I gripped the putter. My actual putter, I use a Seymour putter, which is a great putting system and a, and a piece of equipment. So that was my problem. I figured it out on my own terms. I'm not a great putter, but I'm better at it. So like I, I when you talk about like mechanics, like I, I don't believe in that either. Like I think like you shouldn't strive to like putt the exact same way as everyone. It, it, it can be really different. I mean, you look at the PGA Tour, there's so many different styles in terms of how they're holding the putter, the style of putter, how they're aligned. It's all over the place. Have you ever seen the crazy golf, putt-putt golf? They ha- hold championships where people you know, earn money on that. And there are even a wider variation of styles in that. Yeah, these guys are really good. Obviously, that's not the same as golf, but it's just there's more individualization that you can have in this, I think. And I think there's a bell curve, right? With everything, there's that sweet spot. Because some people, yes, they need a little bit more mechanical help. If they're moving around all over the place, their weight and pressure are shifting like they, they would with a full swing, they've got loads and loads of moving parts, then probably they need a little bit more mechanical help. Yet you can go into the, the dark side of that as well. And I went there. That's why I'm not as much of a mechanical player now, because I I don't want to explain the book that I read because I don't want to denigrate anybody, but... I read a book that was very technical in nature on putting, and I thought that I could become a putting robot because that's just how my mind works. And so I practiced every night with you know, books either side of the putter, trying to make sure the path was absolutely perfectly square each time, trying to make sure there was minimal face rotation, trying to make sure I was hitting right on the sweet spot. And my stroke got better and better and better, at least at home. And when I took it out into the real world, I was worse. I, I putted much worse. And there are many reasons for that. A big one is where my attention was. When you start going down the mechanical road and you start changing things and you become too internal with your thinking, in other words, you're starting to think of body pieces and you're thinking about what your club head is doing, even I would class that as more internal. Rather than thinking about what the end result is doing, you can actually destroy some instinctive parts of your game that lead to good play. So, and I've, I've done some pretty interesting experiments on this that kind of highlight that but you know just take take an example of you've got a 10 foot putt it's right to left and there's a there's a range of lines on that as we as you've discussed there's not one perfect line that you can go on if it's right to left you could roll it closer to the hole straighter at the hole with a little bit more speed or you could take a higher line and roll it a little bit slower what I found personally was when I became very internal with my thinking, very mechanical, my brain lost connection to the target. And I know that's a kind of ethereal thing. People are like, well, what does that mean, lose connection? Well, 
you just lose your awareness of where the target is in space because your brain is so focused on what you are doing. And so my brain wasn't enabled to roll at the right speed effectively or even make unconscious compensations that are good. And so I started to put worse with that. And I see that with a lot of players. I've seen a few good players, good putters, who maybe had poor Sam Putlab stats in terms of path and face and consistency and things like that, but they were good. And then when they had those things improved, they become a worse putter. Now, that's not the same for everybody. I understand that. But I just want people to be aware that that can be the case, that 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 can happen. Does that make sense? Uh, It should come as no surprise to you or our listeners, but I completely agree with you. I view putting as like a game inside of golf where, yes, my philosophy on the golf swing is similar to that, but I think it's even more personalized and instinctual than the golf sling. All the other episodes we've talked about, the conditions that need to be met at impact for functional ball flight and hitting your targets. Not that those rules don't apply to putting, but they apply a little less. I think there's more opportunity to be instinctual and athletic and more personalized in your technique because it's the stroke is important, but it's more about like matching the speed And that is like more, I believe, more athletic. You want to allow that to happen more. Whereas if you're so obsessed and worried about the mechanics, like, am I going to pull this one? Am I going to push it? That does all types of crazy things to your mind. And we know from the best players in the world who lose confidence on the greens from week to week that putting is, I believe, an even more mental game inside of golf than the full swing. So I completely agree. I, I think a great book that I read is is Dave Stockton's Unconscious Putting. And I think it was early in the book, he gave a really nice anecdote. And he he said that most of the golfers that he tries to instruct on putting, and he's not really a technical teacher, he's more instinctual and in feel. He says, think of it like you're driving on the on the interstate or wherever. And you're normally driving, you're just doing what you do because you're, you know how to drive a car. And all of a sudden you see a police car in your rear view mirror. Well, all of a sudden, what do you do? Well, you're, you're gripping the steering wheel a little more firmly and you're like 10 and two. And then all of a sudden, like you're guiding the car and like you're, you're consciously trying to drive when you unconsciously already know how to drive. And he feels that that's what he sees with most golfers on putting. They're putting like a police car is, is watching them. They're very tense they're thinking too much about the mechanics and they're not letting that kind of unconscious athletic part of their mind and body take over. Well, a little test that we did in university um, just to highlight the importance of locus of attention was we got everybody up in the class and they had to throw a ball, a golf ball into a basket. And we just counted how many successful attempts they had. And then we spent 30 minutes analyzing in slow motion the arm motion. And we discussed the mechanics and then we retested and we talked, we we tried to talk ourselves through the mechanics. So we said, right, make a good mechanical move with the arm or focus on what you're doing with your arm. And we tested the results of how many balls went into the bucket. And it was, I can't remember the exact number, but it was significantly lower because everybody's now aware of their mechanics. Their brain is now disconnected from that basket. Whereas before the original test, they weren't thinking about what their arms were doing. And I've seen that on the green with several players as well who are really analytical or have lost their putting. And I say, what are you thinking of? And they say, well, I'm taking it back to my right foot and through to my left foot. And I'm just thinking that that's so that's so internal. It's not necessarily complicated, but it's internal. And I, I say, grab a ball, roll it with your hand towards that hole. And they roll it to like three feet. I say, roll it to that one over there. And they roll it to like three feet. I say, how far did you take your arm back there? And they say, I, I don't know. I haven't got a clue. I'm like, yes, exactly. Our brain has this instinctive ability to be able to control speed and force and read. And it can even take into account the slope of the green as well, if you've got a lot of practice. And we can only, we can only hurt that by becoming too 
internal with our thinking, too mechanical. And again, I want to say the caveat there, that's not to say mechanical thoughts are bad all the time. It's just that there's a sweet spot here. And most people, they either start out with no mechanical information at all, and they, they, they need more, or they get to the other side of the bell curve where they're so analytical about their games that they're destroying their instincts. Yeah, I think with putting, let's say you were like me and you did have I had legitimate mechanical flaws and alignment issues that were preventing me from really starting the ball on the line I wanted to. Like I said, I, I was especially under pressure. I was pulling so many putts. So yeah, I did need to address those things. But once I kind of figured out a fix for those, when I go through my process on the green and we can talk about how I read greens and my pre-shot routine and all that stuff. I'm mostly thinking about the speed now. I putt my best when I'm like, you know, I pick my line, align myself. And then when I'm putting well, I'm mostly concerned like, how am I going to roll this ball at that target? I'm thinking about it behind the ball as I make my putting stroke by two or three practice strokes after I get locked in like that. I try that to be my last thought. We'll transition there. But in terms of face control and start line, do you have any tidbits from the practice manual or any of your other practice secrets on how you like people to give them a maybe a little homework assignment on how they can work on their face control? I suppose, again, on that bell curve, if someone is opening that face 90 degrees in the backswing and closing it 90 degrees in the follow through, they probably need some mechanical work to reduce that face rotation. But in terms of improving the actual skill, one of my favorite drills is to actually just stick a T in the ground and practice putting to a T. And what it does is it focuses your attention on a much narrower target, which I find works better for people in putting. It doesn't always, it's not always the same in full game, but with putting, having that narrower focus of attention seems to improve accuracy. And it's also a great confidence builder because when you, when you can hit that tee over and over again, it's such a small target that it, it has to build your confidence because when you go to, when you go and see a cup, an actual golf hole, it looks massive. It looks like a bucket now because you'd be practicing to something much smaller. But the interesting thing is, it's actually just as difficult or just as easy to hit a tee as it is to hole a putt. Because if you think about it, although that tee is much smaller, if the left side of the ball hits it or the right side of the ball hits it... You've still made the putt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've still got that so it's the same margin for error, really, roughly. I think it's maybe a little bit smaller. but So it's a great confidence builder, moves your focus, even changes your perception of the hole when you go back to putting to a hole. Yeah, I think there's actually a study done on that. I can't, I can't find it, but I think there was a study where people putted to a small hole and then they had to draw on a sheet of paper what, what size they thought the real hole was. And people who had putted to a smaller hole drew the real hole is bigger. So in, in other words, that probably wasn't a good explanation, but in other words, it changed the player's perception of how big the the real hole was. And so, uh, yeah, it, you can actually change what, what your brain and perception are doing by how you practice. Yeah, I view putting, like, so everyone can putt at home. I'll mention a product that I think can help with that smaller hole, but everyone has the ability, whether you live in an apartment, condo, house, whatever, like you've most people have room to set up, you know, a six, eight, 10 foot putting mat. And I think that's the kind of practice that everyone can do. And I would tell most people that is face control practice. You know, it's going to be mostly a flat lie, or even if it's curved a little bit based on your floor, you're going to know the read every time just because you're repetitiously practicing on the same surface. So essentially you're building the skill, I believe, of face control. Can you start the ball on that line and make the putts? And there's a number of games you can play with yourself to put pressure. Like you can do the, you know, three foot, five foot, seven foot, nine foot, and, you know, have to make three, three at each location until you move back or try and make 30 in a row, 40 in a row. I, I find that those are the games that can help on that outcome-based practice. I like more slightly more random versions of that. So have you have you ever seen the hurricane drill where you, you start at three foot, then you go at four foot, but it's placed in a circle around the hole. Yeah, so that's the one yeah, that's the one it seems that most any but you'd have to do that on a on a real putting practice surface. Like I'm I'm looking in the context of like a straight thing. And sometimes what I do 
on my mat is I'll put them in like angled. So I'll do like three, five, seven, nine footers, but they're all different reads or different angles to the hole. So I will have to align myself and and start it on the right line. So I'm not giving myself the same exact look every time. One product that's like exploded and uh, plug, plug, it's part of our deal section on practical golf, but everyone has seen the perfect practice, Matt. It's just blown up over the last year I'm, I'm friends with the their kids to me who who made this thing and it, you know dustin johnson is their main sponsor now everyone has this thing but what's cool about it is it has a smaller hole i don't know if you've seen this adam it has a regular size have, hole yeah. and then a smaller one and i didn't realize it had a smaller yeah hole, and I have, i've seen the, the product so i have one of those really expensive platform mats in my basement because i test golf products and i get everything which is sorry that that's a brag, but I just, I'm evaluating so many products that I get them. I had a really cool like platform, real putting green in my basement that cost probably like 800 bucks. I actually switched from that to the perfect practice because it was helping me more. And I think a lot of it had to do with, was with that smaller hole. When I focused on that, on a smaller goal, it really sharpened my face control with the putter and the balls roll back to you, which is nice. But yeah, that small target, especially indoors, like really challenging yourself to hit smaller parts of the hole, really helped me a lot with face control. If you want to support our show, make sure to check out our sponsor, LinkedIn, by visiting linkedin.com slash sweetspot to post your job for free. When you're hiring for your small business, it's essential that you get quality and qualified professionals. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs can help you find the right people for your team with the fast and free tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. They have a network of more than a billion professionals, many of which you can't find elsewhere. And this makes LinkedIn the best place to hire while making the process easy and intuitive. Because of how easy it is with LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses find qualified candidates in less than 24 hours. LinkedIn have just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier. That's why two and a half million businesses trust LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash sweetspot. That's linkedin.com slash sweetspot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Link is in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. There's one that I'm going to be controversial throughout this entire thing. Go for it there's i i'm all for improving your face control i think it's very good very valuable on the short straight putts ones with slight curve however i have and there is a call for improving your face control and making you worse do you know why that might be the case oh i don't i don't even want to guess why don't you just tell me all right have you ever read peltz's book not the putting one no all right well, in that, he did a bunch of research on people's reading, and he found what he determined as the optimal start line. I, I don't believe there is one optimal, but he, he determined it. And then he looked at where people read their putts relative to that. And what he found was that amateurs underread the break by 66%, something like that. So in other words, if you have a putt that breaks three foot, the amateur is only aiming one foot outside the cup. Yeah, it's like alluding to that statement, you're missing it on the amateur side, not the pro side. Yeah, so uh, the the tendency overall is to aim too low yep. for, for almost everybody. And that was even true with professionals. Now, professionals were closer to the optimal line in air quotes, but they still underread it by 33%. So on that three-foot breaking putt, that putt that breaks three feet, they only play two-foot a break. So now you can imagine if a player is setting up to the wrong line and they putt or they put a better stroke on it, they're going to miss more putts. So if you're going to improve your putting stroke, you by default have to, have to improve your reading or you're going to be a worse putter. 
Oh, I, and, I and totally, I, yeah. I mean, I totally agree. They they all have to move together in the right direction. Yeah. Now that was a pretty extreme argument. I'm not saying don't go out and improve your start line. I'm just saying be wary that because I have seen it with players. They they come to me and they say, "Well, I've been practicing indoors. I've been and I'm rolling this ball along, and I can hit that." cup every single time yeah i get out onto the golf course and i can't hold the thing i'm getting worse yeah well that and exactly say, yeah and i <laughs> and i've been there too where like you you build up this false sense of security which is why we're going to talk about speed control and green reading too because putting indoors is like everyone can do that it's it's kind of the, the low-hanging fruit of putting practice and it has its time and place it's not going to solve everything but in terms of like building that skill of can you hit your start line, I, I think for most people, it's a good place to start. But why don't, why don't we talk about speed control? Just because, like you said, you can have a great start line, but if you can't control your speed, then you're not making many putts or keeping it near the hole. And putting, if golf is a game of proximity putting is the most important game of proximity because the closer you are to the hole, the more chances you have of making that putt. And, and mostly in the context of, I want golfers eliminating three putts during their round. And a lot of that has to do with speed control. What are your thoughts on speed control based on like what you've witnessed on, on and is it, you know, the technique, the skill part of it? Like, where do you start with that? Well, I mean, mechanically, yes. Mechanically, you'd be looking at strike location on the face. I think Absolutely. that's less important now yeah. because most of the modern putters have huge sweet spots. But certainly, by the way, that's like the things. fifth time you said sweet spot. So thank you. <laughs> Just doing it for the algorithm. Then you have the swing size and the acceleration of it. So if, obviously, if you make a shorter swing with lots of acceleration or a bigger swing with very little acceleration, then they can produce the same outcomes. I like to fall nicely in the middle in the sweet spot of that bell curve. There's another one. Again, with those things, although they are mechanical things, I don't like players to focus on those unless they are horrendous. So, for example, if someone has a 30-foot putt and they're taking a one-inch backswing and then accelerating, like really whacking it, slapping it, then we're probably going to work on swing size and smooth it, smoothen out the acceleration. But if I get a player who's pretty decent and it looks okay it's well within my acceptable ranges then i don't want them focusing on that because again it goes to that if they have, if they start focusing on how far they're taking it back and going through that's going to screw up their connection their mental connection to the target which is going to affect their speed control so when we look instinctively or the instinctive side of it the skill side of it what determines it well it's the amount of force that we produce as a golfer, which is related a lot to what our brain is processing, the information our brain is processing. And I like to tap into instincts. If you, if I threw my keys to my wife, she's she's heading out, not not aggressively. Um, <laughs> she's like, "Where's where are the keys? Here they are." Uh, or if I throw a ball to someone, I'm not going to be thinking about my arm movement or or anything like that it's just all instinctive and in fact we could use different trajectories and different arm swings and still achieve the same result so i like people to tap into that external focus and there's a lot of uh, scientific research on this as well where players are asked to either focus on something mechanical in their putting swing or they're asked to focus on the target and obviously when the retests come and pressurized tests come it tends to be that the external target focused they perform the best in fact sasha mckenzie who we're also going to try and get on the course he did an interesting study where he looked at i think it was called heads up putting yeah i, so we were, you, I was yep i heard about this one yeah so as spieth used to do this where he he would set up over the golf ball and then he would look at the hole and swing back and putt and interestingly i used to do that as a kid when I first started putting, it was the most logical thing to me. It's like, well, I want to look at the hole and putt towards it. And I was actually a pretty good putter when I first started. And then I got worse the more mechanical I went. 
And that makes sense. All of this makes sense with... Um, so Sasho's study results found that the heads-up putting, the people who looked at the hole as they were putting, they improved, I think, their hole-out rate and their speed control as well over, I think it was like a 12-week course or something. It was only for a very specific length of putt. And in practice... I think the the hard thing with that approach is that you could probably duff a few more putts, right? Yeah, if you've got that, a thirty yeah. foot putt, you're if you're yeah, if hole. you're starting off with it, I, I feel like it would be a rough transition period. Exactly, yeah. And I do this a lot with people where I, I'm like, let's let's try this heads up putting, and the first few can be disastrous. However, after about five minutes, people figure it out and they duff far fewer putts and their speed control improves and i've had so many people transition to that i use it as a drill right i just use it as a, an exercise but i've had so many people do that exercise and then come back to me a few weeks later and say you know what that drill you taught me i'm putting so well with it i'm doing it on the course now i'm like yeah awesome have at it go for it so it's uh yeah it's an interesting thing but it's more it's more for me where your attention is placed not necessarily where your eyes are but where your brain is 100%. so for example yeah and and tiger's dad he did an excellent thing i think it was tiger's dad who gave it to him but he said look at the hole and say click and what that click is is you take a mental photograph of the hole and then bring your eyes back and go and so what that does when you, when you do it, you actually still have that picture in your head of where the hole is. Even though your eyes are now looking at the ball as you're putting, you have that mental picture of where the hole is. So it's again, it's that separation between where your eyes are versus where your brain is. Whereas the opposite of that is you don't want to be looking at the hole, but still be thinking about your stroke. Because in that case, your brain is still internal. The main point I, I would like people to get from this episode is that going towards more instinctual, less worrying about what your stroke is and approaching it from the speed control mindset on the green, I think can help a lot of people. And everything you discuss and, and Sasha's research makes sense because I think of it like I played a lot of basketball as a kid. I'm short, but I'm quick. So my answer to playing against taller players was I had to become a really good shooter. And when I think back to what made me a good shooter in basketball is that I wasn't looking at my feet or the ball while I was shooting, of course. I was looking at the basket and then matching my position on the court. My body would say, okay, you're going to kind of shoot it this hard. Or if you're further away, you're going to shoot a little bit harder. Like I didn't think about that. It just kind of happened. It was an athletic move. And because putting like everything else in golf usually reverts back to the internal mechanical thoughts like, oh, what's my stroke doing? It takes that away from us. So when I talk about my process on the greens, and I, I think my main skill in putting now is that I'm really good at controlling my speed, is that that is my primary focus. And I, when I've worried less about what my stroke is doing in terms of, I know I can start the ball reasonably well. I'm not going to pull it three feet left or push it three feet right. I'm going to pull or push a few just because that's the the normal variance of, of the putting stroke in any golf movement. But what I'm more focused on is, like you said, taking that mental image of the hole, looking at it, feeling it throughout the whole process. That has helped me tremendously. And I think if a lot of players focus more on the speed, they can make more putts and then keep the ball closer to the hole. But, you know, you got to work on it, though. It's, it's not something I always say feel needs to be earned. You can't you can't really do this inside your house. You know, it's got to be on a real putting green if you have access to a, a practice facility or playing golf. I think one of the bread and butter drills out there for speed control is like kind of that ladder where you're setting up two tees. I've seen you. You have some good answers to this one where you're, you know, you create like a three foot window or an 18 inch window with two tees and then you're moving back from 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet and trying to land it inside those windows and kind of playing games with yourself. That to me is one of the best uh, speed control drills or at least variations of it where you can really hone that skill. Yeah, I have a ladder drill. Like you said, you place a little box behind the hole so it encourages people to roll it just past but not too far past. And then you can go from 
I start it at maybe a couple of meters away, sorry, a couple of yards away, and then we go to three yards, four yards, five yards, six yards. And if you fail it, you have to go back one step. And if you make it, if you get it in the box, not necessarily hole it, you go back, uh, you go farther away from the hole. So it kind of finds that challenge point for you. What I don't like about that game is it's a little, it's not random enough for me. It's called serial practice. But you can break that up by only using one ball because that actually forces you to go and collect the golf ball, which is a little annoying. The moment you st- the moment you shove 10 balls down in a row and you start hitting 10 shots from the same place, I think a lot of the, the practice becomes very... It just nullifies the effect of the practice. So the more random you can make it, if you're working on field control, I would take a maximum of two golf balls out with you. I like one golf ball. Hit, drop a ball down, roll it towards the hole. Just play play out the holes on the practice green as if you were on the course for the most part. The more random you can make it, I think the better. And if you go through your whole routine as well, I like players to use their entire routine. It uh, makes it even more transferable to the course. But if the moment you hit that second, third, fourth ball from the same spot, there's no longer, your your brain is not problem solving anymore. It's not having to say, okay, how much force do I need here? You're not having to visualize it anymore. You're just adjusting from the last one, which is not a skill that you can take out on the golf course. You, You don't have that opportunity on the golf course. So... Yeah, a lot of my practice on I mean, I don't spend, I don't want to make it seem like I spend hours practicing putting. I really don't. But... Pretty much what you mentioned is is pretty much the most of the practice I'll do on the on the putting green at my courses. I'll just take one ball out there and I'll, there's you know four or five holes. I'll try and hit a forty footer or twenty footer. I'm just trying to keep the ball around the hole and like honestly, I'm just letting my body calibrate. I'm calibrating the speed of the greens. I'm just trying to get the ball around the hole and like that. Just doing that helps me so much. Rather, if I didn't do it at all, then I believe my speed control would be far worse than it is. So in my last job, I had uh, group coaching and I had opportunity to do a lot of tests and create a lot of informal studies. And one of the things I used to test a lot was I would separate the group into two groups. I'd have one group just put ball after ball after ball from different spots, but they would do a lot in a row. And then I'd have another group where they had to change it every single time. And then we would play a competition against each other at the end. And it was it was hilarious that the guys who practice ball after ball after ball from the same spot, it's almost like they completely lost any gains that they, they got during the practice session. So you, you see them as they're doing the pre-competition stuff they're getting better and better and better but then you stick them in the competition and it's like they never trained at all whereas the guys who did it randomly one shot from here go back to a different place another shot from there the guys who did it randomly they far outperformed the block practice groups when when it came to competition time so it's really important one variation you could do is there's a great short game called par 18 where you're trying to get up and down and and your score with chipping and putting i mean you could just do that with putting you can make nine different holes on a putting green for yourself and just keep your score see if you you know obviously you want to two putt all of them but maybe you can one putt and just see how you do and keep doing that and put some pressure on yourself and you're changing the hole each time so you're dealing with a different distance a different break i think if people just did something like that and and really treated it as a as a real exercise and put pressure on themselves and went through their routine that's how you could build more speed control again it has to be earned you have to go through the repetition not in the sense of what you're saying hitting the same one all and over again i mean getting yourself the experience and the reps of working on your speed it just can't be like oh i'm gonna have good speed control you you do have to earn this skill yeah but speed control a lot of it is a mental thing it's it's not just the skill the technique obviously as we said you could just look at swing size and acceleration but that's a myopic point of view you've got to take into account what is going on in that person's brain as they're going through the process of deciding how hard to hit this and that that problem solving process is better done in a random random practice environment so if you set up to a putt and then you have to look at this putt and you have to try and gauge how far it is away, then you have to do your practice swings to try and feel it and you have to adjust those practice swings. You think, oh, that was too hard. That was too soft. Okay, this is just right. Then you have to go in and replicate that. 
that entire process needs to be there if you want to really learn feel quicker. And I'd rather a person do one ball with all of that stuff than to do 10 balls from the same spot where they're not going through that process of determining all the, all the, uh, the bits that we just talked about. I agree with that. I think for people who are short on time, their practice would be best spent doing that. Can I say one last thing about speed control, which I, which potentially even be the most important. If you, if you forget everything we said, this is the one I'd want to leave you with because this took me a while to understand myself. The concept of I'm going to try and make this one, so I'm going to hit it harder. There's a great video from Lowest Score Wins. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that book, Adam. It's a really good book. If you look up their YouTube channel, it's kind of an analysis of what happens to the size of the hole based on the speed of the ball as it oh, goes to cup size, yeah. yeah and and the takeaway is is that a lot of people feel like oh i've got a five footer i'm just going to smash this one in and take the break out of it and the problem with that is is that you're not always going to hit it on the right line and i've seen this in in play with speed control on shorter putts you are making the hole the hole much smaller when you add too much speed because now you're removing the possibility of the ball creeping in on the right and left side of the hole. Like yesterday in my tournament, I had a seven-footer for par early in the round that I felt was important. As soon as I hit it, I'm like, oh, you pushed that. But because the speed was perfect, it snuck in on the right side of the hole. Now, let's say I was trying to, I viewed the break as left edge. Let's say I tried to play it left center and bang it in there. No chance. And I, I had the same result with my face being too open. I would have burned the right side of the hole. No chance for it to go in. So I think this is in the context of those putts inside of 10 feet. I don't believe stepping up to the putt with the intention of ramming it in the hole is a good idea for most golfers. No. I, I, there's I'm only there's only one golfer I could think of who was good at that. And he was I Tiger know. Woods because inside of five feet, he knew that his face control was so damn good that he, and it was, I don't think he missed a putt inside of five feet for be. a year. It had to be, but he would just slam those in because he knew he was going to hit his line perfectly. And as we all know, none of us are Tiger Woods. So speed is, I'd say, very important on the longer putts, but it's still valuable on those three, four, five, six footers because watch the video if you can find it. It's interesting and it really changed a lot of what I thought about about putting is that it, it's you're just making the hole smaller when you're trying to ram it in. So don't, yeah, if don't you do roll that. the ball fast enough, the hole effectively becomes zero. Yeah, it's just the size just of the ball. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, or yeah, or because. Roll, it's, Dead weight is the speed where the size of the hole is at its biggest. Or I should say rolling it to the middle of the cup is where the size of the hole is biggest. But you obviously, the, the, the disadvantage with that, or the only disadvantage with that is you run the risk of leaving it short. So you just have to do some tests and see what your speed, your personal speed variance is like. And you want to make sure that the, the shortest in your variance, in your speed variance, is middle with the cup. And then the the rest are after that. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not veering in the opposite direction where I want the ball to fall fall in the hole on its last revolution from five feet. Like I don't think that's a good idea either. We can't control that. Yeah, that so you've exactly. got a bit of variance either side of that. So you just want to make sure all of them are going to be captured by the hole, really. And then when you get the longer putts, strategy on much longer putts where you know, that your chance of holding is basically pot luck, then you just want to spread your pattern so that most of them fall within that three foot either side of it gap. Because then you're going to get 50% of them are going to get the chance of going in and the other 50% are short, are still okay. What you don't want to be doing is rolling it close to the hole and then six foot past the other side of it. Because that is basically the same level of skill, but you're now losing strokes in terms of strokes gained. Yep. I've heard this from a number of people. You you don't want to miss putts short, but you have to be willing to leave a few short because that means, like you said, you've shifted that dispersion around the hole in a more functional pattern versus hitting them all six feet by trying to make them. Do we want to? Do we have enough time for a little green reading discussion? Let's go green reading. Go on, give me green reading. Well, I I don't use my eyes anymore. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, I am an aim point green reader. I use gravity. I use my feet. My philosophy on green reading has changed quite a bit over the years. 
I think we can overread putts. Not to say you can't use your eyes, but I think a lot of golfers look for things that aren't there and they spend way too much time obsessing over getting the the green read down to like, oh, it's got to be perfect. And again, that brings their attention too much to the line and the stroke and away from speed control. I don't want to make this an aim point discussion, but you know, where do you stand on green reading in terms of like how can a golfer build a little more green reading skills? Because I have some thoughts, and I'm sure you do too. Well, the guy I worked with, Preston Combs, he he was an aim point advocate. I I love it. I think that especially for people beginning out, the aim point express thing, really good thing to do because. Yeah, it just takes out a lot of the learning curve. Something that would take three years to unconsciously learn can be can be learned in an hour with Aimpoint Express. So I think it's a real good starting point. And I I haven't delved enough into the other stuff to to comment on that. But certainly I I know that I don't like an exact line. So I think it's it's good to get your ballpark, but then you've got to you've got to tap into instinct as well. I'm sure they they would agree with that. I like to just analyze really, did you get the right speed after your putt? Because we talked, that's the most important. And if so, did that putt then miss on the low side or the high side? And then you're just looking for patterns. If you if you keep getting the right speed and every putt misses on the low side, then you, you need to play a bit more break. And so just by doing that simple analysis, I see that people improve their conscious and unconscious reading skills just from, just from seeing that they, they keep missing on the low side all the time. On longer putts, maybe this was from Dave. No, it was probably from Dave Stockton. I think everyone should read Unconscious Putting if they're interested in putting. It's just a great book. On the longer putts, your line isn't as big of a deal. So if I have a 40-footer and I get the, the line wrong, you know, if I say it's two cups out and it's actually a cup out, that's not the end of the world. The main factor in the success of that putt is going to be how close did you leave it to the hole and that's more about the speed control. So, you know, getting your line perfect on long putts isn't the end of the world. It's just ballpark. And if you could start the ball reasonably well on that line, like you're in the ballpark. So, you know, when I see golfers like on a 30, 40 foot putt and they're they're spending so long trying to get the line perfectly right, it's again, you're 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 taking mental energy away from another place that I think it would be better served. But I have you're not going to hold this. Putt. Yeah, you're not going to hold this putt. You're trying to you're trying to get the speed right. I have found whether you learn aim point or not, using your feet and feeling gravity rather than you know listening to oh all putts break towards the mountain or the stream on this course, which I, I don't <laughs> I don't believe in that. No, that's rubbish. It, it, it's total nonsense. Stop doing that. If you are green reading is about gravity. The ball will. Unless there's some, I don't want to get into grain. <laughs> Let's not introduce. I've had some pretty weird putts in Florida. Yeah. If you're playing uphill. in Florida or Hawaii, and I've seen it happen before, like don't listen to this part, maybe because you're going to have to learn your grain a little bit more. But for most people, if they're thinking about becoming a better green reader, it, it's really about gravity, seeing where where it's going to take you. And I've found that transitioning to using my feet. I can feel the break. I can close my eyes and feel it more effectively with my senses that way rather than getting down and looking at it because there's a lot of tricks your eyes can play for you, on you, especially if you're looking at it from multiple angles. And I know there's plenty of putters who do well using their eyes. I'm not saying don't do it. But I think for a lot of golfers, if they started introducing their feet on, on green reads that they're confused about, it will help them determine not only what way it's breaking, but the severity of the break. And that is kind of the fundamentals of aim point. Then you're assigning a slope and using your fingers, but... Well, don't give too much of this stuff yeah, away. Yeah, I can't. Well, they'll, they'll sue me because <laughs> I did... I don't want to speak negatively about aim point because I love it so much, but I did an article where I learned it from one of their top instructors. This was like five years ago. And they had to review the article first and they were like, you got to take this out, this out, this out, this out because I was giving away the secret. So I'm going to be very careful with what I say here. No, just listen to us, guys. Aim, aim point is good. Yeah. Go and see a certified aim point in, instructor and, and get it done. It's a good thing. The real basic of it is you're using your feet to determine whether a slope is right or left, left or right, and by how much. And then from there, that determines your aim point, whether you aim three foot left, four foot left, or, or whatever. 
Yeah. So yeah. And and my process is I, I, if you watch me putt, not that I'm the best putter in the world, but it takes me literally 10 or 20 seconds to get a read. You know, what you see on TV sometimes is different. People speak negatively about aim point and then you'll see golfers like I've seen Adam Scott use his eyes and aim point. It's taking him a year. If you learn it properly from an instructor and trust it and use it, it should only take you 10 or 15 seconds. And I've had so many readers of the site who've like either bought their DVD or gone to a local clinic. And pretty much everyone I've sent in their direction was like, wow, that makes sense. I feel like I have a system on the greens now. And that's why I love it. I step up with a system that I trust. It gives me a reasonably good read and I can focus on my speed. And it's much better than plumb bobbing, which yeah, do not work. yeah plumb. Uh, that's <laughs> don't listen to the guy who tells you that the putt's breaking towards one creek on the course and plumb bobbing is a bad idea for a number of reasons. I don't know how that got started, but there's just so many flaws in the logic of that that are not consistent. Is that it for green reading? Do we want to stop there? I'm much more of a visual person. I've tried the the feet thing. It's um it's good, but I I must have one leg shorter than the other. I I can't feel it as well. So I I'm I'm just more of a visual guy, and I see very high lines. So I play a lot of break, and I see the ball dying into the hole. That's that's how I do it. But that's a that's a key thing, and it summarizes a lot of what we talked. I like players to get really engaged in the visual engaged in the visualization of that ball going in the hole i think that if you told me that when i was a kid i would say well that's not mechanical enough that's not scientific enough but the more i've learned about how the brain processes information how it absorbs information from the environment and can link that and feed that into the motor program the the pattern the movement pattern you use the more i see the actual visualization of the ball going in the hole is quite a scientific thing and that's often why when you know those rounds where you start and you hole that first one and you're like oh that was awesome and then you get on the second one you have a putt of the same length and you look at it and you think i I think i can hold this one i'm feeling it and then you do you're like oh my god i'm on a run here well this is the thing once you you're in that mindset where your brain is external and you're also visualizing the ball going in the hole. And so your brain is actually absorbing more information that relates to that. It's actually parts of the brain called the reticular activating system that filter in and out specific information. And so this is, it's its a little bit more scientific than people give it credit for. And that's why guys like Instinctive Putting Guy, Dave Stockton, I haven't actually read that book, but... It's um, phenomenal. Bob Rotella as, as well, all those guys. The, the guys who are talking about the mental side, I think it's vastly underrated and there's a lot of scientific backing behind that stuff. Yeah, I think with putting, and you often hear this from someone like Spieth who lost his way with putting for a while and then he's like, I'm just trying to get back to basics, seeing it and rolling it in. Like it doesn't have to be that complicated, especially in the context of a recreational golfer. So you know, if I had to make a closing statement on putting, it would be that I'd want you to get to a place where you're being more of the athlete instinctual top level view versus being the stroke obsessed, line obsessed golfer who is putting so much pressure on themselves. Because the fact of the matter is that putting is really hard in the sense that if you're looking at it as a binary event, of I made the putt or didn't, and that's your gauge of success, well, then you're going to be incredibly disappointed with your putting performance because I started off the episode with eight feet is 50% for a tour pro. And (laughs) most of the putts, your beginning putts on every hole are going to be a lot longer than that. So I think what Adam and I are discussing is more of looking at the putt, I guess, holistically you know, looking at the whole engaging your your body and mind. I, I'm, hopefully, I'm not getting a little too esoteric here, but well, I've got a quote here: "The whole is greater than the sum of its parts," and I think that quote applies perfectly to putting because when you try and break it down, yeah, it doesn't work too much into even when you break it down into speed read and start line as i said you can improve one of those aspects and actually break the whole. Yeah, they they have <laughs> if, to work you, together. Yeah, if you get better at 
starting the ball online, but your green reading doesn't improve concurrently, then you're going to get worse at putting. So the the sum of its parts improving that those does not necessarily mean the whole is going to improve. It has to. That's why I think visualization and that external focus ties everything in together nicely. Yeah, I mean, your your brain and body are capable of controlling the speed already. Like if anyone who's played golf for uh, any amount of time and has some type of skill development, like I believe everyone is capable of playing most rounds where they only three putt one or two times where it's not happening like five, six, seven times. Like I think in those instances, like you're in this like fear-based mechanical, like totally in your head state where you're putting way too much pressure on every result, maybe. I think everyone is capable of being the kind of putter where like, you know, you can hit most of them within a reasonable distance of the hole and then two putt. And then maybe you'll roll in if your speed control and your face control and your green reading is decent enough, then yes, you might make a 10 footer here or there, but you're not going to make too many of them because that's just the way putting is. It's that hard. I just want people to develop like their own little system. It's a personal part of the game. You know, I have my system with my green reading, my alignment. I've just created like a little mini system for myself with putting and I exist in that and I feel comfortable with it. Some days I putt well, other days, you know, it's it's tougher for me because I can't feel the speed as much. But that's my primary focus is speed. If that's the big takeaway of this lesson is like I really want, I think if you get in that more instinctual speed mindset it could help a lot of those mechanical thoughts which are very damaging on the putting green my closing comment is it's okay to work on mechanics start line reading things like that it's okay to break it down but you've got to put it back into the context of the whole again and visualization is the key for that all right where can people find you john practical-golf.com and they can get your training age your your perfect putter mat it makes putting fun for me. Uh, I mean, there's other mats out there. I just like it because the ball comes back to you and it has the smaller hole and it's a nice oh, surface. You're so lazy. I am so because the one thing is like I don't like mats where you like putt it and then if you don't make it, it like rolls 15 feet by. Like there's nothing to stop it because then you're like <laughs> you're hitting it 15 feet. Well, feet well, think of it if you're on a <laughs> let's say you're on a hardwood floor and you miss it, oh, it right, could go okay, all the yeah. way down. A lot of people have hardwood floors, so it's just like you're chasing the ball down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing to consider. Um, anyway, that thanks for listening that's my closing thoughts adam where can they find you adamyounggolf.com if you want more information on my putting stuff so i talk about these topics with cool visuals showing you like different breaks and how different speeds work and even the effective cup size things like that that's all in my next level golf program and i've got some drills in there to work on improving your speed control which is the important thing as well as start line so i show you how to break it down but i also show you how to build it back up and, and into that context of the whole again Awesome. Thanks for listening and we will see you next time. Thank you, everybody. Bye.